Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning. Get my stuff situated here. So my name is Christy Ivanoff. And I serve here as the Associate Pastor of Families. I'm going to have my water bottle nice and handy here. I don't have the big pulpit this morning, so it's not hiding. But I'm going to put it down here. I will likely need it a few times throughout my sermon this morning. So Chris and I, we, uh, we split up our holiday sermons. So this year, Pastor Chris preached on Christmas Eve, and I got the New Year's morning service, which is a little challenging, especially with the New Year's Eve celebration. So we had like 14 people at our house last night, past midnight. So I'm a little tired this morning, but knowing that this would be the case, um, I chose to preach on a text that has been a favorite, a favorite of mine to help give me a little more oomph for a challenging, a challenging time to preach. So this morning, I'm gonna be speaking from the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to that. I'll have the text on the screen as well. I'll be sharing from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. And this is a passage from a book that has been a favorite of mine since I was in my early 20s. Actually, Hebrews 12, 1 through 13 was one of the first extended passages of Scripture that I memorized in my discipleship as a college student. And this scripture has, is a friend. It's a dear friend to me. And I review it often. When I'm discouraged or having a hard time in the word of God or feeling like I'm in a lull in my spiritual life, for some reason, Hebrews has been a book that has come to mind. And I'll go back to, to help, to help re-engage my spirit. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share from this passage this morning. And what's interesting is I've studied Hebrews more in my, actually I had a New Testament class this last semester, and then preparing for this sermon, I learned that actually the book of Hebrews is intended to be just that, an encouragement, an encouragement to us. Now, obviously, scripture all is to be an encouragement to our spiritual life, but the structure, the form, Hebrews is actually a sermon, It's in the epistles or the collection of letters we have in the New Testament, but it's different. It doesn't start with a greeting like many of Paul's epistles do to the church he's writing to. There's not an introduction, dear so-and-so. It just starts right out. Though at the end of the book, we know it's a letter because he does conclude, the the preacher, the pastor who had written this, um, concludes with some exhortations and some specifics to, to the people he was writing to. But it is a sermon and was intended to be read in whole, like many of our letters. So actually, I just for a little bit toyed with the idea, maybe I should just preach the book of sermon, the book of Hebrews, and just go through the whole thing. But knew that that probably wouldn't be the best time to do that this morning. Um, but it was. It was meant to be read. So it's a sermon or a homily. A homily is a kind of a fancy word for a sermon that is not necessarily so much to teach doctrine, but to encourage our spiritual life. 
to encourage us to persevere. So this letter was meant to be read in the assembled congregation. And I'm going to use the term pastor as a speaker. The commentary that I, I spent most of my time in chose to do this because we don't exactly know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, there was a time in church history where it was called the epistle to the Hebrews, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, but really it's not clear exactly who wrote it. And the writing style and common uh, and more recent scholarship um, makes an argument that it wasn't necessarily Paul. It's written very differently um, from his normal style. Um, but it was likely delivered, it was intended for a specific house church in the vicinity of where Paul did plant churches. And these people would likely have been both Gentile and Jewish believers. So the title, the epistle to the Hebrews, gives us an idea that these individuals were Jewish followers of Jesus. They could have been born Jewish or they could have been born Gentiles, but had converted to Judaism and followed Christ while still um, staying connected to their Jewish um, roots and then worship, worship, Jewish worship style. In fact, it's called a synagogue homily. And the structure follows very much what the type of sermon you would hear preached in a synagogue. We see from clues within the book that these hearers were very familiar with the Old Testament texts and had been followers of Jesus for quite a while. Now, of all the New Testament books, Hebrews quotes the Old Testament more than any other book. There's an emphasis on understanding who Christ is in relation to those Old Testament texts. And first, the first first several sections of, of Hebrews is helping those believers understand exactly who Jesus was in relation to these Old Testament scriptures that they were very, very familiar with. You see, they read the prophets and they knew that there was a son of man that was mentioned in, in Daniel and there was the son of David in the Psalms and there was this Messiah and a suffering servant in Isaiah and these, these characters that were spoken of often and yet they didn't quite understand or they had to piece it together that this in, these indeed were all speaking of Jesus himself. And so this was a new understanding for them. In fact, the Hebrews, the book, starts with a verse that says, God, who spoke to the prophets in many ways over much time, has now spoken to us in one who is Jesus, the Son. And Hebrews also introduces Jesus as the high priest, this is the only book that spends time on this part of Jesus' ministry. The atonement, the ultimate atonement, um, our mediator um, to help uh, atone for our sin, to be the actual atonement for our sin. And no longer now was there needed for sacrifice to be made from priests because Jesus was the ultimate high priest who is now seated next to the Lord God, the Father on the throne. So the purpose of this letter, like I said, was to encourage the congregation to continue in their faith despite discouragement and persecution. So what was the source of their discouragement? Well, first of all, they were facing public ridicule and shaming for their faith in Christ. They were living in the Greek culture that did not have room for a Jesus 
in their understanding. You know, the Jewish faith was respected even among that pluralistic society, but the way of Jesus was considered like a rebellious offshoot. And they were not esteemed or given um, place uh, within the Greek culture. And so they faced regular shaming. And in a society that was built on honor within a, pat a patronage system, this was incredibly embarrassing to face common public ridicule. Some of who had followed Jesus were fading in their commitment. Some had actually quit attending the fellowship. They were no longer gathering for worship, and some had left the faith. And this discouraged those who were left. You know, I feel like we, we ourselves have gone through a time of discouragement in the church with, with COVID and how it mixed everything up and how we didn't meet for so long. And then as we've gathered, we've missed. We've missed what was before. And when we, and some, some of our congregation have gone to other churches, some haven't returned. And so we feel that loss. For them, they actually had people that were denying the faith in their community and were facing that discouragement. Another reason that they were discouraged was that Jesus had not yet come. So it's believed that this book was written around the year 60 AD. Um, there's, there's evidence that it was before the destruction of the temple, which was in 70 AD. And so these believers were kind of like second generation believers. They had received the faith from those who walked in Jesus's time and who had passed on. And they knew that part of that gospel message was that Jesus was going to return. And yet they had anticipated that his return would be much sooner than it was, that it would be in their lifetime. And they were not seeing that. And amidst the suffering and the persecution, this was another discouraging reality for them. Things were heating up in the Roman Empire, and the threat of losing their life because of the faith was an ever-increasing reality. So they were facing a lot. So that's the backdrop of who they hears, where they would have been sitting in their faith journey. And this pastor who's written this sermon is so concerned that they'll persevere in the life of faith and obedience. He wants them to continue to live in light of the reality that God's promise for the future is certain and his power for the present is real. So let's go ahead and read the scripture. I've selected the first three verses of Hebrews 12 to focus the sermon this morning, though. And I really encourage you, if you get a chance, to, to read more the whole chapter maybe this week or even get an audio Bible while you're driving or at home and really listen to this, the larger piece of this work. So verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. 
this passage starts with the word, therefore. And it's kind of a strange place to start a sermon with a verse that starts with therefore, because when you see the word in scripture as an English language, it's a very important to know what the therefore is there for. Because it's therefore saying that something that what is being said is based on something that has been come before, an argument, a, a story that makes sense for what's coming next. And I'm not going to read chapter 11, but the therefore is really following an incredible chapter, often called the Hall of Faith in our New Testament book. It's an inspiring and poetic remembrance of their ancestors that had gone before them. He starts in the first seven verses of chapter 11, recounting creation to Noah, and that the foundation of our faith was grounded in their faith as they experienced God, heard God, and obeyed him. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham, Maybe you could call this faith at its best. Abraham, who heard God, who left his home, who believed God for amazing miracles. He was old, had a, you know, thought he would be fatherless, and yet he, he trusted God for his promise, and then was asked to sacrifice his son. That was going to be the heir of his, of his promise. And so um, faith, trusting and walking in obedience. And then it talks about Moses and the faith under stress that he and the the uh, Hebrew slaves experienced and the deliverance that God brought to them in their faith. And then Hebrews 11, that it goes on, there's more. And then Hebrews 11, I'm going to read this part of this chapter, Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release <clears throat> in order to obtain a resur better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Whenever we see the word perfect in the New Testament text, it's a little different than maybe what we think of as um, just, just, just so. I mean, it has, that, has that, um, that implication as well, but it's a picture of completeness, wholeness, to be um, fulfilled. And so we see as we look back over the chapter before the therefore, we see faithful, faithful people who we are being called to mind for this congregation and for us. Now, it's possible that you may have been raised in a church or in a faith uh, tradition where the Old Testament scriptures maybe were considered no longer necessary or important because we have the New Testament, the New Covenant in Jesus. 
I would make the argument that these scriptures are part of the ongoing redemptive story and that the writer of Hebrews 2 knows that for followers of Jesus to know these stories, to know who our, our, our heroes of faith are and to think on what they've gone through is an, can and will be an encouragement for us as we, as we remember. Many times throughout the book before this, in chapters 4 and 6 and 8 and in 10, the pastor has urged hearers to action because of the privileges they now have in Christ. And this, this um, passage alludes to this and that, and that the people, they were committed for their faith, yet they hadn't yet received what they, the hearers, had, all, had then received in Jesus and the fulfillment of all the prophets. The prophets and who they were pointing to. And here, he urges the, the listeners and us forward because of the legacy that they have from the witnesses of faith who have gone before. The therefore is therefore. Here's to know that they are intimately and inseparably joined to the faithful who have gone before us. Such a great cloud of witnesses and even now, they surround us. The pastor would have his church, and I would say would have us as well, feel that they can reach out and touch these heroes who lived by faith. They were witnesses, witnesses to God and witnesses for God and for God's contemporary people. They are indeed our fans, fans of God, fans of us on our journey. So I want to share a story. Um, there's a lot of athletic imagery in this passage and, and beyond. So when I was about 30, 31, actually at my kind of my 30, 40, like those decade birthdays, you know, they kind of get you in some way. And, and often I, I, I will take on a physical, a physical challenge around those times, um, something to focus on and also kind of prove to myself like I'm not that old, right? So, you know, when I was 30, I had a, I had a one-year-old and I had just gone through the year of, of what life meant to be a new mom. We were living in Unalakleet and there was an opportunity that the Covenant Youth of Alaska team was organizing a bike trip. And this bike trip was going to be over 200 miles from the Wasilla area to Glen Allen to Valdez and then take the ferry and then bike from Whittier back into Anchorage. It was going to be an intergenerational trip, and, uh, but they were also hoping to have youth and counselors, and so I was invited to participate in this. So I was feeling the need, you know, for, for an adventure. Curtis agreed that he would, you know, be on for being with Sheriff's for a week, and so I made plans to do this bike trip. Now, I was not a biker. I was living in Unicleet. I had a, I had a um, mountain bike that I'd had for a while with big, heavy tires. I had no idea what a road trip would be like, but I was going to do it. So I began training as best I could in Unicleet with a heavy mountain bike on gravel roads. Well, it was a slow process, and um, my, my desire was to do this bike trip without having to walk my bike. Like, I knew I could do it. You know, like, I knew if I was in shape, I could do it. But the real challenge 
was that Thompson Pass is in the middle of the journey, which is 17 miles of continuous uphill. 17 miles. If you've ever done the drive, it's a beautiful drive. Some are steep inclines, but it's a slow, continuous, constant increase of 17 miles uphill. Well, you know Cleet has hills, right? I thought this is a perfect place to train. Now, this is before, if some of you are familiar with Unicleet, this is before the new road, and you had to bike down by the airport and then go up into the hills. And that first hill up, I, that was going to be like my training hill. So I see, so let's see how far I can go. Well, I could only go like not very far up the hill. And then I was really discouraged. Like, how am I going to be able to do 17 miles uphill if I can't even do this hill? I trained, I trained, I trained. As soon as the snow melt, I trained for about two months. Could never get up more than like halfway up that hill. There are lots of thoughts discouraging. Like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, maybe I, maybe I should, this is just a stupid desire, interest. Maybe I should quit. But I had made the commitment, was going to be the chaperone. So I thought, well, I'm going to give it my best. So I came into Anchorage, got rode a hybrid tire onto my bike instead of just the heavy whatever, and started bike, did a couple runs on concrete. And I was like, wow, this is a little different. But our first night, we camped. And the first morning, we biked about 60 miles a day. The very, very first thing that we, were, we, we vanned our bikes to this camping spot. And the very first challenge was a hill that was easily twice as steep as the hill I could not even get up. So from the beginning, I was already discouraged. And yet, on pavement, it's a lot different than biking on gravel. I realized I had traction that I didn't have and was able to make it up that very first hill. Well, I was biking with another youth. She was, I think, a senior from Matsu, and we biked together. And she would encourage me, and she knew my goal. And so as we biked through the hills, we came to the second day where we would bike Thompson Pass. So this was the big challenge, right? Well, there was about 30 of us on the trip. I was in the back of the group, one, to kind of help bring up the rear, but also because I was probably a slower one. And uh, we started going up started going up. And it was indeed quite a challenge to be biking uphill constantly. The plan was that our, we had a, we had a, um, a wagon, like an a RV, that one of our uh, chaperones was driving, and it had all of our snacks. And they were going to be parked at the top of Thompson Pass, at the, the crest. They would be there and waiting for us with food and water and refreshments. And so I was excited about that too. But really to, to, to beat this challenge. So as we began biking, it was slow and had to stop a few times, but bike the whole way. As I was, came around the corner, there was a crowd, because again, I was at the back. There was a crowd of people who had already done it, who were at the refreshment stop, who were waiting. And what were they doing? They weren't just eating their snacks. They were cheering everybody else that came behind them. And that last part was pretty steep. And so as I came around, thinking like, oh, I know I'm close, I could hear them cheering. I could hear them, yeah, come on, come on, you got it, you got it. And let me tell you, it just infused some adrenaline or something. And I started going faster and faster. And the closer I got, the more they were cheering and cheering, little kids, older people cheering, cheering. And it gave me an incredible boost for the end. And in fact, I wasn't nearly as tired as I thought I would be. And as I biked up to that point, this scripture 
is what came to mind. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For us to think on and to remember the saints who have gone before us, our heroes of our faith, as an, as an encouragement to us. And I just want to pause for a minute and encourage you to think, who is it for you that has been a hero of faith? Maybe they're still living. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's a scripture, a character in scripture. Who is it that has inspired you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to get up and move, but I would like you to pause and think and share with someone sitting next to you or behind you or right there around you. Who is one of those people? And you don't have time to tell their whole story, but who were they? And if there was a specific time where you really have found strength from them. So I'm going to take about two minutes and encourage you to do that. Who has been a hero or possibly a Bible character or someone now that you see that encourages you in your faith journey? Go ahead, share with each other. And you are welcome to move if someone's not right beside you. But. Okay, so these witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, as I said before, are indeed our fans. They're fans of God and they're fans for us in our journey. Now, the writer of Hebrews also wants us to think about um, what can get in the way. We're exhorted to lay aside hindrances every weight and the sin that clings so closely if you have been an athlete or have really done anything that requires physical endurance you know you don't want to have extra weight physical weight obviously we're we're faster we're better if we can drop excess weight but also the things that we carry with us so this metaphor is for 
extra, extra weight and sin. Now, the weight isn't necessarily always sin, but sin that clings closely is also a hindrance for us. So when I turned 40, I decided to, to take on a challenge to complete an Olympic distance triathlon. Now, I was not, you know, an elite athlete, but felt like if I worked up to this, I could do this for my 40th birthday. So I set the goal to participate in the nation's triathlon in Washington, D.C., which is an Olympic distance triathlon. And to train for that, I found a few shorter triathlons here in the area of Anchorage to participate in. Now, the first one I chose to try was one that happened on uh, in the end of December in the valley, and it was one degrees outside. And I had not ever done really, really cold, a full training outside. I had you know trained in, in indoors and at the gym and some outdoors. But this particular morning, it was very cold. Actually, I believe I was, we were living in Saldana at the time. And so we drove, up for, we drove up for this particular event. One of the hindrances I hadn't planned on was that my feet got very cold. So when we started the journey, all these other racers were putting duct tape over their feet. And I was like, what in the world? What are they doing? Well, I learned quickly with the bike that the cool air going through my summer running shoes, my toes were freezing. It's about a five months, a sprint distance triathlon. And so my family, my kids were young then, and Curtis, um, as, I was, as I was biking, I, they, were, they would like go down the path and I'd high five them and went by and then they'd run to the next, they'd drive to the next part or run the next part. So on one of the stops, I was like, my feet, my toes are freezing. I don't think I can run the next section. So they ran over to Fred Meyer just down the street and got me some of those heat things to put in my shoes at the next, at the next uh, stop. And I put them in. That was a hindrance. That was a weight. That, was a, that, was, that would keep me from running. Now, I ran that, I ran that race in, in fleece pants and a jacket and you know lots of things I wouldn't run in the summertime. But it was a hindrance. And I needed help to get beyond that. And sure enough, I was able to finish with some help and some extra duct tape. Now, on the one hand, the saints of old surround the believers as fans, urging them on. At the same time, though, the allure of the world's rewards and the hostility of unbelievers cling to the runners as well in order to try to slow their progress and turn them aside from the race. This is a real struggle that we feel today. We feel the pull of our flesh. We feel the rewards of the, of the worldly values that so often pull against us. Sin in this passage is not a particular sin, but the reality that we face as living in these bodies, these human bodies, that often pull us from the desires of Christ. In Genesis 4-7, the Lord spoke to Cain and said, the Lord, the Lord speaks that sin is crouching at your, your door and desires to have you. You must master it. We can't lose sight of the fact that even um, in our redeemed state as believers in Jesus, that our body, our, the flesh, and the values of this world pull against us, and we want to take us out of the race. We throw off hindrances. When I made it to Washington, D.C., 
It was the full-on official triathlon with a mile swim to start. I had trained in Saldana in cold water and then was swimming that day in 78-degree water. It was warm and hot, almost too hot. They would, you almost didn't let us wear our wetsuits. And as I swam, I didn't realize what a mass start was like with probably 300 other in my 40-year-old age group to get kicked and swam over and elbowed in that beginning. It was much more than I had expected. And as I was nearing the last part of the swim, the first half was down current, the second half was against the current. My swim cap started with my goggles started to come off. So I wasn't able to see clearly and I have, you know, have a lot of hair, so that swim cap starts coming off, my hair is in my face. And it was a time where I really wanted to quit. I could see there were people in their, like these little dinghies, these little rafts that were the security and the safety people in case people were having a hard time. You could, you know, wave off and quit the race and they'd come get you. So tempting, right, to quit the race. But I remembered what Brent Cunningham, the Young Life Director in Sitka at the time, had told me when he had scratched from the same type of distance race. He said, it's a mental challenge. You know you're in physical shape to do it, but it's your thoughts, it's your mental challenge that it takes to, to, to beat that, that, that challenge. And so I remember thinking, I need to not think about this. And yet this, this thing just kept bothering me. And finally I decided, off with it. I just took off my swim cap, threw it in the, <laughs> threw it in the river, put the goggles back on and kept going. I had to throw off what was hindering me and I was able to finish that swim. Now, the writer of Hebrews isn't just concerned that we enter the race. It's that we keep going, that we persevere. We persevere in the, the race marked out for us. And how do we do this? He points us. We've looked at the, the people before. We've been reminded to throw off all that hinders. But the crux of the matter is that we focus, we fix, we look to Jesus, remembering that he was the author and perfecter. He initiated and completes, the pioneer of our faith. This also has echoes of what we see in Revelation, that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He initiates our faith and he completes it. He's not just another one in that list. He is the one who began and who has the power and the ability to help us in our weakness finish the race. Now, as believers, we all have a common race. And that is that we live a life in obedience to God by faith. That has been our challenge. That has been our, 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 um, our mission from Genesis all the way through as followers of God, to live a life of obedience by faith. The reality is, though, that we each run a different race. The race you're in right now looks different than the race I'm in right now. What race are you running? Where is it that you feel tired and weary in your walk with Jesus? What challenge is it that is making it hard? What discouragement is keeping you, that's testing you? 
Maybe there's a sin that continues to plague you that you've been bearing and carrying. The Lord wants you to keep running, to persevere, to think on who it is that has gone before to receive encouragement, to throw off things that entangle. And often we need each other to be able to do that. In fact, many times in Hebrews there's a phrase, let us, let us, let us. We run this together. We do this together. We don't run alone. But we do walk through discouragements and difficulties. We are encouraged to fix our eyes. Um, this particular version says, I think, just looking to Jesus. But the NIV captures a much more intense to fix our eyes to focus. I've been so encouraged this last Advent season when we spend four weeks, right, thinking on each week what it was like to wait and for the, the, the beautiful coming of Jesus um, in the manger. Emmanuel, Christ with us to think on that, to light candles for that, to have an extra service for that. Um, it's been a real blessing. But that's our charge, to continue in our race, is to continue fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, it says we consider him who endured opposition from such sinful people that we ourselves would not lose heart or grow weary, but that we keep running. What race are you running? Jesus is running with you. He is your companion as well as our, our, our heroes of faith. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And the Lord wants you to persevere to finish the race with him. Pray with me. Lord, we, we desire to keep running, to persevere, and though our lives may not be in danger here, we know that there are other believers in the world who are facing threats to their life daily. And so we pray for them, God, that you would strengthen them. But Lord, we do face discouragement. We do have family members that may ridicule us for our faith. We may feel alone in our workplace. We're the only one that knows you, loves you. It may be, God, that we are facing such difficult trials in our family life, in our marriages, in our health, where it seems like we're running alone. But God, remind us that we are not alone and that you are running with us and that we run this race together. Lord, help us to persevere we thank you that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in every way and yet was without sin, Lord, so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for us, that we could come to the throne of grace with confidence because of the forgiveness of sin offered to us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is yet to receive forgiveness, that is yet to commit their run, their race to you, Lord, and join the race of a life of obedience by faith, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, and that they would come to know your love, your peace that passes understanding, forgiveness of sin and freedom, Lord, to run, to run um, to the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.